Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Now, I want to give you a, just coach you a little bit as a congregation. And uh, just excuse for a second that I'm the pastor, and this could be totally loaded with all the things I wish happened when I preach. Um, so just forgive that for a second. And here's a couple of great things you can do to encourage people as they, as they preach. You can interact with them. You can talk with them. Um, preferably not in disagreement. Like, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't, you shouldn't ever say that in church. That's my job if it has to happen, just so you know. Um, uh, you, but you can say things like, amen. Or you can say things like, preach. Or you can say things like, come on. And you have to say it like that. You can't say it like a boring... I don't know, white person. Come on. It doesn't work the same. You got to put some soul in it, you know, when you're agreeing. But I promise you, uh, as you receive, the better that we are receiving, it seems like the more interactive the Holy Spirit comes with his giving. The better we choose to be at receiving, the more the Holy Spirit interacts with us in what he's giving. And the Holy Spirit has put a word on the heart of each person that's up in front of you this morning. And so would you, if you're comfortable, would you just stretch your hand toward them right now? We're going to pray real quick for them. And then we are going to start the timers and they are going to get on their way and preach. Father, I thank you for each person that is seated up here this morning. We thank you that there is a word that is dwelling richly in each one of them in this season, Lord, that you've spoken to them for our church in this present day. We pray, God, that your anointing would come over them right now, Father, that they would speak with a comfort and a fluency, Lord, that is supernatural, not only of their nature. God, we want you to be glorified and praised at the end of this all. So we give it all to you, Jesus, and we say amen. All right, well, I'll just make quick introductions because they can't use their time for introduction. They don't have much. First of all, we have uh, one of our elders here at Generations Church, Ed Deeth. Yeah, that's, that's some encouragement. I like it. And then we have Dallas Weirden. Yes. Then we got Big Bad Ben Hines. Big Bad Ben Hines. We have the lovely Jody Deller. Yeah, the rest of you guys are chopped meat. And then we have uh, the only man who could tame her, <laughs> Doug Deller. <laughs> All right, so what's going to happen is there's a five-minute timer that's going to run for each one. Don't be afraid to be encouraging. If uh, I'm not going to say if they go along. We're not going to tell you what to do. Just follow my lead if any of them go over their time. All right, here we go, five for five. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, yeah, so there's no intro needed for me because Pastor Travis did that. Uh, in five minutes or under five minutes, I hope to encourage the heck out of you guys. Um, so this week when I was thinking about peace, our, our general topic to speak of is uh, peace this, this morning. And um, so in the last uh, week or so, I've been thinking about a personal peace and how um, through my life, I found myself a lot of times uh, trying to create a personal uh peace or like even a personal space I've always kind of maybe for example what I'm talking about is uh, maybe you do your backyard up and get everything perfect the way that you think might look perfect and the things in your life you might even uh, purposely avoid conflict in certain areas or things that might even help your growth but you uh, you avoid that to try to cause this this peace that you want so you can settle in it 
But today, uh, what I want to talk about is how that kind of peace is easily susceptible to your circumstance that's around you, and things can easily affect it. So what we actually need is Jesus' peace, the peace that Jesus gives us and the, the, the peace that he promises. So in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This sounds a lot uh, to me when I was reading this, like... Uh, like uh, Jesus, when he, when he told us he was going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. And I, no surprise uh, to me that it sounds like that, because one of the gifts of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit, is actually peace. So this leads me to believe that peace actually is powerful. Peace actually is power. When you're, when you're uh, doing things in God's economy or in Jesus' kingdom, peace is actually not a place where our circumstances affect us. Peace is actually powerful. The, the peace that he brings us is powerful. Um, it's power because we experience it when we pursue God and we're close to our Creator through faith in Jesus Christ and hearing through the Holy Spirit. So in Romans 8, 6, it says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. It's a deeper, a deeper kind of peace that Jesus offers us. Uh, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, actually, they, they use a word that you've probably heard called uh, shalom, the shalom peace of God. And it doesn't just mean peace, it's a fuller, greater peace. It's actually a peace that, uh, that uh, it's an all-encompassing peace, kind of leading us back to our, uh, our origins, in the, or even, not really our origin, but our, in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, and what uh, God had planned. And this kind of shalom peace is actually powerful to lead us back to that place, and it's a desire that we all have uh, deep inside us to get to that place. And um, it's, it's uh, also like a, the type of peace that would bring nations together, even. So... Um, I just, uh, another thing that I, I was thinking of this kind of peace when we're trying to create a, a peace in our lives, this type of peace will really only mask symptoms of, uh, symptoms of sin or, or symptoms or things in our hearts that need to be healed. Our kind of false peace just kind of masks these things, and it's, uh, it's kind of a medicine for things that's temporary, but it's, like I said before, it's affected by circumstance, whereas uh, God's type of peace is actually, I was thinking of Johan Bolton, I don't, I don't think he's here today, but he, uh, uh, it's like the surgery of the heart. It's like Jesus' peace offers a surgery for the deeper, deeper things of the heart. And uh, this, this gift of peace is, uh, it's, it's powerful. And I just think of, I got, a lot, I got a lot of notes here, but just to be, be real with you, like, don't we want what Jesus has to offer? Like, I know we do. And, and we can't get away from that. If you've accepted Jesus into your heart and he's done a work in you and the Holy Spirit is in you and speaking to you, then all these gifts are available to you. And it's just amazing that the power of peace is available to us. The power of peace is uh, powerful to bring out your struggle, take you out of your addictions and your alcohol, your troubles with alcohol. Uh, these are just things that God actually put on my heart that are actually, I'm supposed to be talking about. Uh, alcohol is one of the things that peace will destroy when it's uh, used right, when we ask for God's peace. Peace is powerful to turn lust into love for all God has created. Peace is powerful to heal your marriage. Peace is powerful to take away that feeling that you have to be better than somebody else or compete with other people in every area of your life that you're struggling with. Peace can empower you to evangelize and love your neighbor as peace gives you perspective, God's perspective. When I think about God's perspective, I get excited. It's been, a, it's been probably a year and a half, roughly, where every time I think about God's perspective, I just get excited. And, but, so it's fine. What is, uh, peace is powerful, but what is the takeaway today? So I wrote here, the takeaway is let's get it. 
Let's seek him. Let's get excited. Let's exercise our faith. Let's pray with expectation. Let's ask for God's perspective. Let's change something. Encourage each other. Encourage each other today. Let's change something. Amen. Wow. That, was, that goes fast. Well, I'm going to start with um, Philippians 4, uh, the Message Bible, verse 6 and 7. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns before you know it. A sense of God's holiness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's a wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So my biggest burden in life is my own thoughts, especially when I have overscheduled myself, overworked myself, um, and it feels like I can't accomplish anything. Um, I felt like I was rushing from task to task and really not getting anywhere. Um, um, my life was in a destructive chaos. I battled with, did I make the right decisions? Um, should I pursue and grow my company? Should I go after this job, go after that person uh, for hiring? Um, did I handle that situation right? Um, then I introduced employees in this mix, and well, that is, has its own set of challenges. Um, so you start worrying about their lives, their family, and you put your family behind you. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've all at some point felt like this. Um, and it sure wasn't peaceful. So how does one person move on from all this when your life feels like it's in shambles? I distracted myself with other things. Uh, I took counsel with non-Christian people. Uh, I would work later for other reasons other than to sit around and drink with some friends. <laughs> Even though I was saved and I knew God who was, sin was running my life and sin was running my company and sin was running my family and there was never enough work and never enough workers and I was always angry and I was never content. My marriage struggled. I felt like I had to always work. And when I wasn't working and I wanted to spend time with my family, Tara and I usually ended up in a fight or an argument. Uh, so how did this change? One day I was brought to my knees. God brought me to my knees. And I was in a very dark place. And I prayed. I prayed out loud, and then Tara walked in the room. And we prayed together, I think, or she was plotting my demise. I don't know. <laughs> we started attending church regularly. I started reading my Bible regularly. I spent time learning God's Word, and then I started attending morning prayer. And I found that the, there was a simplicity when I came to, uh, there was a simplicity when I started serving God. 
If I did what Jesus wanted to, I'm with him. I found it easy to find peace. But it didn't seem to be that longing peace. And my thoughts were still stealing my peace. Unless I was focusing on Jesus. Focusing on Jesus gave me that peace. He took the I don't know what out of the outcome is going to be and the have not, time for this, and reminded me that the outcome has already been decided. The more I surrendered to him, the more peace I was with my, I was more at peace with my circumstances. But my true revelation came um, in Matthew 19, when the rich and the kingdom of God. After Jesus tells the wealthy man to give up all his possessions and follow him, and he gave away, and he went away sad. And I was like, why did he go away sad? I realized if I wanted lasting peace, I would have to chase, stop chasing material things and start chasing Jesus. I needed to chase Jesus. With that, my peace, he gave me my peace that my heart desired. Is this thing on? All right. I was kind of nervous last night. I was uh, texting my friend, and he said, um, what's going on? Why are you nervous? I was like, I'm preaching tomorrow. And he's like, uh, well, like, why are you nervous? I was like, well, I'm, I'm preaching tomorrow. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be kind of scary. He's like, what are you preaching about? I said, peace of God. And he's like, figures, yeah. Shocker. <laughs> so, um, uh, Heavenly Father, I just ask that only the truth go, will go forward, and only the truth will be received in Jesus' name. Um... Hebrews 11.8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when he called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Um, to get God's peace, you need God's faith. You need his faith in you. You need to have faith in God. And so what is faith? Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's, um, it's faith that builds our obedience. And through our obedience, like Dallas was saying, we get peace. It's not something that we muster ourselves. It's not something that we can... When we try to be obedient in and of ourself, it just leads you down this... I don't know, maybe a, a works-based hole. And you're just digging and digging. You're like, I'm being obedient, I'm being obedient. But you're not feeling that blessing that God is giving you. You're not feeling that peace that is available to you. And so we can ask God for more faith to be obedient. Um, without the obedience, it's just, it's just digging. Um, Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. This whole Bible is just rich with ways that we can increase our obedience. We can ask God for more. We can ask God to help us be obedient. We can ask God for more faith. We can ask God to show us where we're falling and where we need more of Him. We always need more of Him, right? But like, 
really. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. That's from James. Um, He is so good and faithful. He is going to enable us to not fool ourselves, to live with our eyes open, seeing the wonder that he's put in our hearts, in the world around us. That's what's going to help us to be obedient. That's what helps me to be obedient. Um, is creation. Seeing his creation and, and feeling his creation. You stand outside in the wind. You're just like, where's this wind coming from? We don't know. That's in the Bible. Check it out. So it's good to have faith. It's good to have obedience, obviously. God said it's, it's good. But what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? It can't. We can have faith, we can have obedience, but we have to have them together. It is, well, it's in the Bible. Look it up. <laughs> Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? It, we're called to it, and um, he loves to give it to us. He loves to give us more obedience. Charles Spurgeon said in 1890, so this is old, obedience, what a blessing it would be if we were all trained to it by the Holy Spirit, how fully we should be restored if we were perfect in it. If all the world would obey the Lord, what a heaven on earth there would be. Perfect obedience to God would mean love among men, justice to all classes. I'll just pause that right there. With everything that's going on right now, if we're all perfectly obedient, there would be no BLM, there would be no um, injustice, there would be no wrong. But anyways, that's not going to happen until everything's perfect on the other side. So back to the quote, justice to all classes and peace in every land. Our will brings envy, malice, war, but the Lord's will would bring us love, joy, rest, bliss, obedience. Let us pray for it for ourselves and for others. So what if I said that peace can be a choice and that God wants to actually partner with us in our experience of peace? Making the choice with how we respond when life gets uncomfortable can greatly increase our ability to take hold of the peace God has for us. In Philippians, Paul makes it simple for us and actually gives us a list of things that we can do to experience the peace that God has for us. With peace, God has his part, and we actually have ours. Philippians 4, 4-9 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be evident to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So just over 14 years ago, our second daughter, Emery, was born. And when Emery was born, <laughs> things went a bit sideways for us. Emery started things off with an emergency C-section and she started having seizures. And two days later, she would be flown out to Edmonton where she would be diagnosed with having had a stroke. It was a high stress arrival for all of us. The temptation to fixate on everything that had gone wrong and everything that could still go wrong was at an all time high. Now, I'm not a doctor and up until then, I didn't even know that it was possible for a baby to have a stroke. So it was very easy for me to play through an endless list of possibilities with why this happened and how it might affect our Emery. None of them were good. The more I focused my energy on trying to place blame, the better I got at it. Truthfully, this was so hard to go through. And the more I thought about how hard it was, the harder it seemed to get. So Doug and I started praying, and we got others praying. There were so many people praying and asking God to heal her and to protect her. The more I prayed, the more I felt peace. The more I prayed, the more I trusted that Emery would be okay. And as I prayed, I actually started to become thankful. Yeah, thankful for the opportunity to watch God work. In verse 6, Paul starts us off by instructing us to get God involved, by humbly praying with thanksgiving. Ask God for what you want. In verse 8, Paul gets pretty specific about how we play a role in our experience of peace. He all but gives us a to-do list, and it has everything to do with what we think about. He tells us to be intentional about our thoughts and gives us clear direction with what to think about. And then finally in verse 9, we're reminded that it actually requires effort. I love that Paul uses words like learned and practice almost like he expects us to be bad at this. He knows this is learned behavior, and he expects us to practice being intentional about what we think about. Now, the only way I know how to be intentional is to slow down, slow my thoughts, slow my response. In fact, respond rather than react. Paul laid it all out for us step by step with what our role is in experiencing peace. Again, God has his part, and we have ours. We get to make a choice as to whether or not we follow the instruction given. We have a highly relational God, and he is constantly inviting us to be part of all the good that he has for us, including peace. So the next time life throws you a little curveball, remember, you get a choice. Slow down. Choose to respond first by praying and ask God for what you want. Choose to thank him. Thank him that in the midst of hardship, he's still good and he has good things for us. You'll find that being grateful and giving thanks in the midst of uncertainty is the only way it's possible to do this. God is good and he has good things for us. Inviting God into the process is what actually makes it possible to dwell on what's true, what's honorable and right and pure, lovely, admirable, 
anything of excellence or anything worthy of praise. And when we do this, we have the promise that the peace of God will be with us. Collect myself after that. <laughs> All right, so I just want to hone in on one avenue of obtaining peace by not holding a grudge. Um, which ties in with forgiveness. So we've all had our share of unfair things happen to us. Um, we do wrong to each other all the time. So we're tempted to think that our anger against another person gives us power, that we can teach the other person a lesson like, I am someone not to be messed with. Um, or maybe we fear that if we let the other person off easy, that makes me weak. Um, but if you hold on to a grudge, it can take on a life of its own. It can become a cycle that will spiral downward into blame and rage and be very difficult to find your way out. In reality, it just eats at us. So, um, letting go of a grudge and forgiving the other person can especially be difficult when the other person's not even asking for forgiveness. Uh, maybe they think that they're in the right, or maybe they think they, they just don't want to face the consequences and they're trying to find a way out. It's actually not our position to decide what their motive is. Um, in James 1, 19 through 20, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Jesus said on the cross in Luke 23.34, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his garments. So, like everyone else, I've had many unfair things happen to me in my life. Starting as a young child, my parents were divorced before I was one. I never knew what it was like to be in a traditional family. My mom was unstable and left us. My older brother and me were left with my dad, and since he worked a lot, he left us with his parents. My grandma and grandpa took us to church and talked with us a lot about God. So I got to grow up knowing about Jesus, and throughout my early years, my mom would repeatedly get on track enough to take back my brother and I, but then quickly go sideways, and we were back with Dad. So it was a rough roller coaster for those first several years of my life. Um, when I was with Mom, I witnessed a lot of physical abuse, substance abuse, and immorality in general. But in those times, I was able to remember back on the Sunday school lessons and know that Jesus is who brings us peace and comfort. By grade four, I was back living with my dad at the time, and I met Brad, who is still a close friend of mine today. His mom, Donna, was intentional about being very inviting to whoever her kids were friends with. And her role in my story is a whole discussion in itself. But since my dad worked a lot, I was home alone a lot, and I was invited to their place a lot. 
even when Brad wasn't there, I was there. So I got to witness how a family, uh, how a healthy family operates, which also highlighted how unhealthy my situation was, which gives a lot of room for bitterness to set in. But when I would start to feel that bitterness, I was able to quickly remember that I am God's child, and he wants us to be quick to forgive. So the bottom line is that, yes, we might have a good reason to be bitter and hold a grudge against someone. There's no denying there are people in our lives who act in toxic ways, but there are psychological conditions that can result from excessive grudge holding. Anxiety, heightened stress, or depression are common conditions that can manifest. It can be easy to start seeing everyone you meet as someone who has the potential to wrong you. There are many methods to help resolve conflict, and those steps need to be taken. But whether or not you are able to resolve it with that person, maybe you need to adjust those boundaries. It is vital that you don't hold a grudge against them. It will do more harm to you if you hold the grudge. Just remember that God forgives us repeatedly for doing the same wrong things. God's will triumphs through suffering, and that suffering will not have the final word. He will bring peace. Come on. Oh, man, that was really good, you guys. That was really good. Come on. Let them know. Let them know about it. You know, can you imagine what would happen now if we, if we let them develop the thought a little bit more and then gave them 15 or 20 minutes? Uh, who, who got something out of that? Come on. <laughs> I love how when we, when we, when you guys, you know this uh, now, when we yield ourselves and we say, okay, Lord, I'll be your instrument, I'll do what you want, and we say yes to him, uh, what can come out? Um, I feel like a really fitting wrap-up uh, for today's message is uh, just to read to you the peace prayer of St. Francis, and many of you already know this, um, but I think in, to sum up, to attempt to sum up these five different perspectives on peace and the relationship each one of us has with peace, um, just, just listen with me as I read this to you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. And where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To understand as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born into eternal life. The peace of God that passes all understanding, there is nothing like it in the world. As these individuals have each shared today, we, we all probably in this room are familiar at some level with the difference between the peace that we have as human beings and that transcending sense of peace that our supernatural Father in Heaven brings into our lives. Our hope for you uh, today, whether you're here in person or whether you've joined us online, is that you would experience the absolutely terrific and wonderful peace that Jesus brings into each one of our lives when we bend our will to Him. 
And it's so important that we remember, as has been foreshadowed and even shared in these five speakers today, that it is in the submitting of our will, the letting go of wrongs, the, the bending of what is ideal to us, to the reality of our situation, that when we, when we maybe the right word is when we surrender, we make room for the peace of God to flood into our lives. But not only that, as the peace of God comes into our life, we become then conduits of his peace to other people. And what a world we could live in if we all walked in that peace and in that relationship with him. I'm going to close our time in prayer this morning all together. And um, of course, if you want prayer, if you want to receive ministry today, you can come find us at the front at the end. If you're joining us online, you can reach out to us uh, through for, for prayer requests and for ministry uh, through all of our online media outlets. Uh, but as we close today, would you just agree with me? Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Jesus, I thank you that you put your word in the mouths of your people in season for the right moment, for the right time, for the right place. And God, we trust and know today that there are those in this room, those who are watching online, who needed to hear from your Holy Spirit today something that would be a, a, a bandage, a, a medicine for their heart. And God, I pray that as your word goes out, and even in the week to come, as those who miss today are going to listen later on, Father, that, that your word would go forward and it would accomplish what you intended to do before it returns to you. Jesus, help us to be understanding of what it means to carry your peace, to live in your peace, to walk, to be free, to give, to love, to laugh in your peace and in your resurrection life. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you love us so very much, and we love you too, Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.